All right, everybody, welcome back to episode number five, or as I like to say to my friend Pierre Lebrun, Le Numero Cinq, number five episode of... There you go. I know. Two Man Advantage is the podcast, and I also like to add this for my good friend Pierre and all of our Francophone listeners, Le Gâteau est sur la table, and j'ai mal à la tête, which means <laughs> the cake is on the table and I have a headache, but... Anyway, you're, 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 you're trying to get us more and more listeners in Quebec and Northern Ontario and New Brunswick. Well, well yeah, there of course, go. actually, there's a good Francophone pocket in Essex, Ontario, too, near Windsor. So it's good to, good to spread the love and uh, also trying to draw in some of our uh, some uh, listeners and, <clears throat> and readers in Michigan. That's why we've had Craig Custance join us. Well, and plus, we, we like Craig a lot. So welcome, Craig. How are I, you? I, I see. Yeah, I don't trust Craig because he's got the full 60 podcast there and, you know, he's kind of a That's spy. Right. He, uh, he comes on, he comes on your podcast, Scott, to kind of hammer it. I come on, I come on here to sabotage it. Watch, watch like, yeah. what awful takes and horrible opinions <laughs> and like lots of stuttering, long drawn out. Yeah. Just watch. This is a uh, sabotage well, here. Well, this, and Pierre, it's our podcast, even though I... I like to have the last word. It's still, it's our podcast. That's why it's called Two Man Advantage. And Craig, I have you on in the hopes that someday, once again, you'll call me to be on your famous podcast, but that never seems to happen. So, so what am uh, I, if it's two man, am I on the penalty kill or what's like, how does this work for the third person and the two men? Like, am I just, am I coming out of the box or what? Like, what, what is this? Uh, no, basically when, uh, if there's an empty net situation or we get up three goals and <laughs> you can get on the ice. So. All right. Uh, but I, and I'm I'm really excited to uh, to talk to both of you about Royal Cup of Hockey and Craig's terrific oral history on uh, Team North America and the the game against Sweden back in 2016. But Pierre, I want to I want to talk though right off the hop about um, it's it's sort of newsy, but it's an ongoing news event, and that's it has to do with the the team in your town, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So just absolutely. So much fun to watch. Pouring goals in. The power play is off the charts. Uh, Austin Matthews on pace for, so what is it now, 150 goals or something like that. And uh, John Tavares, uh, no problem stepping into the, uh, the, the, the fishbowl that is playing in Toronto. But all of this is being accomplished without William Nylander, one of the, the, the key young pieces of, of that team moving forward. And you addressed this in your Friday notes package, but, and I wanted to ask both you guys, A, are you surprised that, you know, the team is, has done what it's done offensively and just looks so solid without William Nylander. And does it change maybe how this team approaches William Nylander and his future with the team? Because he's an asset even though he's not playing now, he's an asset now that other teams around the NHL must be going, well, hey, if, if this isn't going to work out contractually, maybe there's a fit for us. And obviously the the, the one area the least at some point are going to have to address is, is how they play defense and and that defensive roster. And Pierre, uh, let's start with you since you, you address this. But, uh, you know, what do you make of the whole Nylander thing? And, and has the least start changed your view of how they might approach it? So which one of the six questions that you had in your preamble do you want me to answer? Because I, I, no, I, I was, jot, I was no, jotting no, them down. Focus. You started <laughs> with Matthews. Started with Matthews, and then are you surprised how many goals they've scored? Hold on. Let me go back on my list here. I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, uh, I just finished with the one important question. In order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you do that because you know it drives me crazy. Uh, now I can't remember what you asked me. But, uh, uh, I, 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 oh, Nylander. Okay. Yes. I was in my Friday NHL notebook today. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, the, it's sort of the unfortunate, uh, overriding story that is juxtaposed to this ridiculous Edmonton Oilers, like circa 1980 start by the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs offensively, uh, still a work in progress, by the way, on the defensive end of things. But, uh, Mike Babcock has, uh, has lots of games left between now and the playoffs to try and figure that out. But man, can they score goals? And I'm waiting for the first Toronto media member to reach out to Wayne Gretzky to ask him if he's worried about his 92 goal NHL record for <laughs> goals in the season, uh, uh, given the start from Austin Matthews. Um, now, Pierre, I know you, you know I, I, the story this morning, but I think that's a very fine idea. Speaking of uh, uh, you want to get on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, listen, the, the Nylander standoff is, uh, um, you know, I, I, I understand where both sides are. You know, I, th- I think the Leafs, 
because of the uh, upcoming contract negotiations you know, at some point over the next 10 months with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, uh, I don't think the Leafs feel this is a philosophical line in the sand with William Nylander. I think they think it's a mathematical one that, that is for every dollar, they go North of six and a half million a year. And by the way, I don't even know that they've offered six and a half million yet. I think they started at six. They may have gone to six and a quarter, depending on who you believe. Obviously neither side is talking, but at some point I think they're willing to go to six, five, but I don't know that they want to go much North of that on a long-term deal. And the reason is I think they feel that for every dollar they spend North of six and a half, that it really starts to take away from their flexibility and what they can do with Marner and Matthews. Uh, they may very well end up north of six and a half to get this done, but you understand from a mathematical salary cap equation. And by the way, no one ever talks about how Jake Gartner is UFA at the end of the year, and he's going to cost at least, I think, six million a year. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a puzzle, and they're trying to make it all fit. And, and from the Nylander perspective, I think it's twofold. I mean, one is that I think, the fear is that if they sign for, let's say, six and a half million a year, then Marner gets eight and a half next summer. And regardless of how you feel of each player, I think they feel that that's a, a pretty big overlap. And the other one is, of course, the fear of getting traded because you can't get a no trade clause uh, until you're UFA age eligible. So lots to, to chew on here. But uh, one of the things I did in my notebook today is talk to other GMs and agents around the league to get their view on what they think the deal should look like. And really a lot of it comes down to the, the same ballpark, you know, anywhere from six to, to, to 6.6, you know, in that range is where a lot of people think the deal should end up going if it's a long-term deal. Yeah. Uh, Craig, you, it's interesting in Pierre sort of, there was a, an aside almost in, in Pierre's uh, column, but it was either an agent or a GM who noted, Hey, listen, you know, this is Kyle Dubas, Dubas has done a nice job. And he's doing a nice job in handling a, a very tricky situation uh, for the Maple Leafs. And of course, the new GM having ink John Tavares, he's on a he's on a pretty good roll. But Craig, do you see this as a is, this is a different dynamic for him, and and maybe his first you know real challenge of uh, you know one thing to bring in a uh, unrestricted free agent like John Tavares, but this is homegrown talent. You have to decide. A, can you keep them and at what price and at what term, all those things. And if not, how do you maximize that asset? Because there there will be teams that would be interested, of course, in William Nylander. And can you leverage that into maybe a, a blue chip defensive prospect or a young defenseman who can step into the lineup and, and really help this team? Because it, there are people who believe that this is a team that's not just, you know, they're not just playoff worthy, but they're they're cup worthy or on the cusp of being cup worthy. And I wonder how you view this as, as we move forward. Yeah, it was interesting because the Leafs were here in Detroit last night. And this was naturally a, a topic of conversation in the, in the media room where, you know, executives and scouts and media all gather and eat. And, and one person that had been in the Red Wings organization a long time was like, you know, back, back with the Red Wings, it used to just be like, here's our, here's our pie. Right. And we would show it to them and we would say, here's Nicholas Lidstrom's, slice of the pie and here's Steve Eiserman's and sorry, Kirk Maltby, this is yours. And, yeah. and that's, that's how it's going to be. But they made the distinction. It, it was a different scenario for a couple, well, for a lot of reasons. One, there was no cap. So this was just kind of internal budget. Um, but the other thing was, you know, the Red Wings had won together and these, most of these guys had already made their money. So when you're asking, you know, Luke Robitaille to join the Red Wings late in his career, or Brett Hall or or whoever, or or even Nick Lidstrom to kind of set the ceiling on his last contract. He'd already made his money. And, and you know, which is a completely different scenario with these other, with these kids in Toronto who, A, they haven't won together yet. So it's not like you're trying to keep the band together that you know is successful. Like, we're all just kind of projecting here. And, and you know, they, they still haven't had their big contracts yet. So I think it's a completely different scenario. Um, to me, Kyle Dubas is of the gen the general manager breed that looks at players um, less emotionally than, you know, I, I use this because it's the extreme example. And let's say Dean Lombardi, who was super emotional and loyal and, and you know, he was kind of the opposite. Like, to, to, I think Kyle Dubas is of the mentality that these you have a portfolio and you you have certain you know the, there's certain costs that come with these players and you, you it's almost like stocks like if this one is you can't overpay for it it's good even if it's a great stock you can't overpay for it or else it's you're not it's not worth what you're paying and 
And I, I think there's just, you know, and kind of watching the way that Kyle Dubas has operated and, and what he has said in the past, I just, I feel like there's a certain level of almost, I don't want to say detachment because it sounds cold, but I think that's just how he's going to operate. And, and it's going to be fascinating because, because Pierre's right. You've got this one. And then of course, Austin Matthews is watching this. And then you have Mitch Marner laying in the weeds. Who's, who's going to watch my senses is, is going to wait till Austin signs to see what he's going to do. So there's so much writing on one thing and and they just they can't overpay but i love i don't know if you guys saw in the athletic tyler dello did a story essentially about the leverage that nylander has that continues to grow because this is such a big season for the for the maple leafs because you have some of these salaries low so you you only have so many of these seasons where these guys are making low money and you have to capitalize and you you don't want to lose one of those pieces for the entire season as that that december deadline gets closer well, I guess, it, but do you, I mean, no one <clears throat> seems to be really discussing, well, if it's, if it's not going to work here, then it, he'll, it'll have to work somewhere else for William Nylander. Or are we not nearly at that point yet? Like, and I'm not suggesting that the Leafs should abandon this and, you know, and try and pry Colton Pareko or whoever it is, you know, Pareko's name, you know, came up a few times for teams looking, obviously, to you know, to add a, a terrific young defenseman, the Blues looking to add some offense, which which they did in the offseason through various means. But um, is that, you know, Pierre, is that, a, you know, how realistic do you think that kind of option is to say, listen, let's take this asset and let's address one of our big needs? Or is it too early to be worrying about that, do you think, with especially with the Leafs off to a terrific start point-wise? Well, first of all, I don't think that that top four right-handed uh, unicorn defenseman is there right now for the Leafs. I right. mean, they, 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 they need that player. They're going to want that player. They're going to try and get that player at some point, but I don't know that he's available right now this early in the season. So, right. yeah. but aside from all that, I, I have to take Kyle Dubas to his word when I hear from other GMs around the league saying that, that what they're being told from the Leafs is that Neander isn't available. I mean, right. I, I don't know that he would say that just for the heck of it. Now, I suppose if this thing dragged on another three, four weeks, maybe that would have to be revisited. But I think that's the feeling right now from the Leafs is, you know, you, you got a first-year GM who probably doesn't want to open his account by having to to trade away a guy that he couldn't sign, I mean, is my guess. And um, But, you know, again, I, I think that whatever you frame the the situation on one day – certainly has a danger of changing as, as this goes on and for many reasons, but it, it, it's fascinating to be sure because, you know, you know, William Nylander's father, Michael Nylander, um, whom the three of us covered when he was a player, he was a really talented player. Mm -hmm. He was also very headstrong. And uh, famously, I remember working at the Canadian press one summer when he agreed to a deal with Edmonton Oilers and then reneged on it and it became a gong show. And, he ended right. up signing for much less money in Washington. And, and again, you know, you're the father and the son are not the same human being, um, um, you know, but it, it's hard to believe that Michael Nylander isn't in his son's ear, at least in terms of advice. I mean, for sure, that would be a factor right now. And, and probably saying, you know, stick to your guns here. And, you know, I, I didn't put it in my column today, but I, I had one agent who, who kind of went on on a kind of a tangent with me on the phone and said, you know, Everyone sees the market as being, you know, between six and six point seven five million a year for Nylander, but it's it's not against the rules for be to be asking more than that. I mean, at the end of the day, Mike Liu, the agent, got you know north of eight million for Leon Drysaitel, and everyone believes that that contract, you know, eight and a half million a year, um, times eight, and everyone all the teams around the league say, well, that contract doesn't count. It's an outlier. Yeah. They want to throw well, that one out. It, like, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't count because you, count. yeah, it doesn't count because you hate it. So again, I mean, I, I think I totally get where the Leafs are coming from and, and, and the puzzle and the math and, and why the Nylander deal has to fit with everything else they're doing, but it's not against the rules, what the Nylander camp and agent Lewis Gross are doing. I mean, the market is what you make it. Yeah. Um, and this is why it's always such a treat to work with you, Pierre, because we work without a script, as you know. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm, as you know, I, I always like to throw four or five questions. You pick one that you want to answer or none, and 
whatever. But your mention of Leon Dreisaitl allows us to shift gears slightly. And Craig, you and I were talking about this earlier this week, and Pierre, even before we started to tape this morning, talking about the Edmonton Oilers, who uh, it seems like the league, you know, the regular season has been going for, what, about a month now, and the Oilers have played <laughs> two games. <laughs> and uh, it's not quite that bad, but it's just such an interesting dynamic for me. Uh, with both New Jersey and Edmonton having been in Europe to start the the regular season. Um, and unlike all of the, I went back and I looked, uh, and if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, all of the premier games or all of the regular season games that have been, that the NHL has um, uh, put on in Europe, there's been two games. So I remember years ago, I did Tampa, the New York Rangers. They played two games in Prague. Pierre, I know you were in, I think, both in Finland and in Sweden for, for premier games, if I'm not mistaken, during in the past. But mm-hmm. Basically, the model has been... Even London, England. London. You and I were both in London, England, at yeah. the O2 Arena in London, the Anaheim, LA. Uh, and those. So the pattern has been, go there, you play an exhibition game, maybe two. And then you play two regular season games. Then you come home and you try and figure out, you know, how you're going to readjust to to being back in North America. The the Devils and the Oilers played just one game, and for Edmonton, so now they came back and and they worked us out with the league. And I understand the dynamic of not coming back from Europe, going all the way out west to Edmonton, and then you know picking up with game two. Um, so they stayed in the Eastern Time Zone, but it's been a long you know, sort of period of time where they haven't played games. Their second game, and Craig, you and I talked with, predictably, they get snowballed by the Boston Bruins. So now they've lost both games. They're off, as we're talking today, <laughs> another day off, just what they need, uh, before playing a matinee on Saturday against the New York Rangers and then moving on with your schedule. And I, Craig, I just wonder if it, 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 that's, that's a tough way to start for a team that really desperately needed to put a horrific season behind them and get off to a good start. And it hasn't happened that way. And, I, and you know, obviously the scheduling hasn't helped them. No, I thought it, I thought it was brutal. And there's a sitting there, that, you know, when, when you're talking to people with Edmonton, like they, they you know, you had the option of going back to Edmonton. But then you're flying back over there, readjusting to that time zone, flying back to the east. And, and readjust, so kind of they, they made this call to get east and hang out. And it, it was a bit reminiscent to me of like the the team that wins a playoff series in sweeps while the other ones go in seven games and is 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 flying and then they got to play that game. You know, boss, the Oilers are just sitting there, and I, like I don't if we, if you and I were smart and it was legal and ethical, like that's that was such a lock for the the Oilers to lose that game, right? To to yeah. bet that, like it was. Of course they're going to lose that game. And 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 you're you're right, Scott. I just thought it was I thought the schedule like these teams are not going to want to go to Europe to start the season in the, the, any more than they don't want to now if if this is going to be how the schedule is done. I thought it was brutal. Pierre, like I know that there's a lot apparently there was no scheduling issue, but maybe it was an issue, you know, it's it costs money to go there, all those kinds of things. But I think Craig's point is a good one. If you're going to do these kinds of events, you can't it can't be punitive to Right, you can't. You can't be. You can't have these things where all of a sudden teams are like, "Oh my God, the last thing I want to do is do it that." I don't want to do what the Oilers did. Hmm. Well, and I think back to the Senators last year who came back from Sweden, and uh, the, everything went off the rails from that moment on for Ottawa. Now that probably isn't the number one reason, but still, if you start to collect evidence as to all of it, I mean, I. I don't know. I, I, I love going over to cover those events over the years. I, I, but I have to say that when those games were played, uh, and there's more coming, the Jets are going to, to Finland, but I, I thought that the, the buzz was pretty muted for these games overseas this time around. And, uh, you know, I mean, the league is committed, I think, to going back next year. But um, I just wonder whether it's overstayed its welcome as, as an event or – you know, maybe it's like the outdoor games now where when you're watching the outdoor games on TV now, you're like, eh, you know, yeah. you know, been there, done that. But when you're at the event, it's still an event, right? When you're we're hosting a winter classic. Um, so maybe that's what it is for the European games that when you're there, there's still a buzz. And of course, the, the point is to reach out to a whole marketplace that you don't get to reach out to during the season. Yeah. Well, to me, like, and if you're going to do it, why not do... Like it doesn't make to me it makes zero sense for both New Jersey. Now it hasn't hurt New Jersey, of course. They're they're coming off a 
crushing victory over the uh, Washington Capitals. So it didn't hurt. Right. Them. Now they got to, they got to come home. So they didn't have to, you know, they haven't been sitting in a hotel. Like the Oilers have been in hotels now for probably the better part of two weeks. So, um, but it, to me, it, like, why not have sort of, is there a way to do like a mini tournament? Maybe you have, you know, maybe you have a bunch of central division teams and you go and you've got four teams in one city and you play over the course of three days or four days, you play two or three games or whatever it is. But, but there's, it's got to, if you're going to keep doing it, there's got to be a better way to, to do it. But, you know, again, Pierre and I, you and I were talking about this, but it, it's not, it's not cheap, right? These things don't come for free. So you have to decide what the, the balance is, what the benefit is, but it, it mm. does seem like it's, uh, it, could use some tinkering if they if we're going to keep moving forward with it well do you guys remember like the first whatever it was five or six coaches to go over there were fired that, <laughs> do you guys yeah. remember it, the number was astounding to the point i remember when i first moved back to detroit I, the red wings were playing in somewhere and i kind of made a joke to mike babcock in the scrum my question was along the lines of like do you fear for your job since the last six guys to go over there and like he was piss like he did not like that question and i'm like <laughs> yeah. of all the guys in the world like mike is so you know he was coming off you know multiple trips to the finals i'm like this guy should probably not be fearing his job but i guess coaches don't like joking around about job security but and, and but i just do remember every coach was on, on the line for a while there that that started their season in europe yeah that's good. Um, we're going to uh, we'll we'll slide towards the end of the first segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. But the the other sort of news of the day that I was curious to get your both of your takes on, um, in it involves Austin Watson and his uh, suspension uh, by the league as a result of a, a domestic violence incident. Initially given a one third of the season suspension, twenty seven games, um, arbitrator. Shyam Daz will reduce that to 18 games. Craig, let's start with you. Were you, I mean, that basically he's reduced it by a third. So um, surprised by that, does it, does it maybe uh, suggest that the NHL needs to take another look at, along with the NHLPA, of course, um, at having a domestic violence um, policy in place, not unlike what we've seen with the uh, performance enhancing drug policy, where there are some, you know, so some some guidelines, some uh, like a um, a structure. You know, we talked about Nate Schmidt getting 20 game suspension, regardless of, you know, he tested positive for a very small amount, but that that's the system is in place, and that's 20 games. That's what he that's what he got. Is there something? Does the NHL need to have something like that in place uh, for issues of uh, with domestic violence? Or what's your take on, yeah. on the whole Austin yeah. Watson thing? I'm I'm very much in camp. There needs to be a, a a spelled out policy in this and with, with the same kind of zero tolerance uh, attitude that, that, you know, Nate Schmidt had to deal with like this, you get one millionth of whatever, 1% of, of uh, a banned substance, you're out 20 games. Like to me, this, we should be handling this the same way. Like if, if there's, there's zero room for this, if, 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 you know, you fall out of line, you're, there, there's minimum. We're not gonna we're not gonna be debating this like a like a borderline hit along the boards. You know what I mean? Like I think there's I think there should be very and maybe I don't know. Maybe that's not. I'm sure they've talked about this at higher levels than this. But I, I, to me, it's just it, this should be pretty spelled out with with set guidelines. No, yeah. am I? Is that unreasonable? No, I don't think so, Pierre. What what's your? No, I mean I mean I think the only the only thing that that I I. I I don't know. I mean, this is so out of our depth in terms of our expertise. We, we're sure. talking about something this serious and, and legal. Um, but I, I think that is every offense of this nature judges the same. I, I mean, again, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but of course. from what we're hearing from different people, it certainly seems like the Slava Voinov incident was uh, quite serious, right? Yeah. Uh, no by so, I guess my point is, at the end of the day, you know, domestic abuse is domestic abuse, and and we can't have any time for it. Period in in the NHL or any league or anywhere in life. But should the incidents not still be looked at for the d- degree of seriousness, and yeah. and no, for the act the actions that occurred? So I, I guess that's the only thing I would say here is that you probably still need to look at every incident for what they are. 
Right. But and maybe this maybe there's a way to, you know, that the, both those ideas come into come into play. But I think Craig's point is, is is a good one that, OK, if you have, you know, you have a, a system in place for performance enhancing drugs, why wouldn't you have something in place for something that is, is much more serious and much more, much more problematic? Uh, and and acknowledging that these things may happen, right? So you have to be prepared for them. And I, I think that's, it's important that there is some sort of structure in place and that the, you then you then move forward from that based on whatever the circumstances are with every specific event. But you have a policy in place that says, okay, here's, here's, we have a zero pol- zero tolerance policy. Here's where, here's where the thresholds are for um, supplemental discipline and all those kinds of things and, and move forward from there. Craig, let me ask you one more quick question on that. Were you surprised that Austin Watson was on the ice and introduced with the team? I know there were a lot of people on social media that was, they were a bit surprised that when, when the Preds introduced their 2018-19 team that he was in uniform and on the ice. Were you, were you troubled by that or what was your thought on that? I don't know about surprise. I just I just want these teams to realize, or, or I hope they're taking in consideration that the message, the you know, when you just kind of rally the troops and you're like, this guy is part of our group and this is family or whatever the kind of the message that comes out of here, uh, just be aware what what people what what a message it's also sending to people in your fan base, right? Like, that's yep. that's all. Like I I, I don't know. It, it, Pierre's right. Like it's hard to talk about because we don't know all the facts and and yep. so you don't want to sit there and but like. I, it, it just it sometimes it just looks callous to me when you're like, hey, you know, hey, mistakes were made and 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 let's I don't know. I just I, I think you got to be careful what message you're sending when you do stuff like that. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Um, all right. Uh, we will, in fact, return after a brief break for the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And as promised, we're going to talk about the greatest game ever played. At least that's what I read in The Athletic. Uh, as it refers to <laughs> Which it Team was. North America and Team Sweden. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, here we are, back for the second segment, segment Two Man Advantage podcast. Craig, I know you've got work to do. And actually, I want to ask you about the story you're going to write before you go, if, yeah. if that's all right. But, uh, but first of all, as advertised, I, I thought your oral history piece on uh, <clears throat> the game at the 2016 World Cup of Hockey, Team North America, Team Sweden was fabulous, and we were we were together in Chicago during the player tour when you were asking some of the the players who were involved in that game about it. Uh, and I'm going to get to you, but Pierre, I'm going to ask you the very first question on this topic: Which game was more meaningless, <laughs> Team Sweden <laughs> and Team North America 2016, or Team USA Team Russia shootout game? Preliminary round, Sochi Olympics 2014. Which game was ultimately more meaningless? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I like what Craig did. I mean, listen, ultimately the game was meaningless in the scope of nothing having been won. But I think it, it, it's historical because of the players that it involved. Uh, I mean, I mean that's the difference. I mean, I think when you're talking Olympics, the only thing that matters is, is winning medals. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's no offense to TJ TJ Oshie and that wonderful moment in that preliminary round game. But at the end of the day, who cares? We, we, oh, that was know, for the I gold, mean, right? Us in America. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but this is different because I think that, you know, one of the things that you'll always remember very much so after the terrific job that Craig did to relive it is what a launching point it was for so many of these guys. And, you know, not just the young Austin Matthews who hadn't even played an NHL game yet. Uh, and of course, Connor McDavid, but, you know, I, I remember thinking about Nathan McKinnon. What a great way for him to come back onto the stage because he had already come into the league and with a lot of buzz, but then his sophomore year was a bit so-so. And then I, I remember thinking during that tournament, everyone went, oh, yeah, don't forget about him. And, boy, ever since, I mean, really, Nathan McKinnon, as we know, probably, you know, he was my art trophy vote last year. I have no problem with Taylor Hall winning. But yeah. but yeah. Uh, that's one of the things I remember, too, from Team North America is, is the Nathan McKinnon return party, too. Yeah, no, I, there's no question. Craig, when you were putting it together, were there things that surprised you um, just in terms of how people remembered it? Or I, I have to tell you, I was a bit surprised. 
Um, pleasantly so, of course. Uh, but be, like people loved to remember that, like mm-hmm. on social media, like when when people were talking about that story and the video clips, people came up, you know, like yeah, it was a great game. But <laughs> like, okay, that game, and uh, to me, I remember that game because at the end of it, they completely had misunderstood how the tournament worked. Right? They thought they had guaranteed <laughs> themselves a, a, a move on to the elimination round, and of course. They needed to win in regulation, and they didn't. And and basically, by winning in overtime, they were pretty much pooched. Right? <laughs> they had almost yeah, no that chance. Finland team wasn't going to beat Russia like that. Right, exactly. They needed Russia to lose to Finland, and that wasn't going to happen. But was there anything that surprised you when you were putting it together? I I knew I was onto something, and you guys saw this when I saw the reactions of the players when we started throwing. It wasn't like, why are we talking about this game? It was, oh my gosh, I love that game. You know, and, and Austin Matthews saying, I remember every second of it. And yeah. and being able to recall. Oh, I mean, we were sitting with Scott, you were there with Jack Eichel. And, and yeah. I love the line where he's like, yeah, I just bought a house. And the only thing hanging <laughs> is a team picture from Team North America. And I'm like, <laughs> that's all right. Because <laughs> like, that was one of those stories where you kind of drop a line in the water. And I'm sure you guys do this all the time where you're like, I think I want to do this. I think it's a good idea. Let me ask a couple questions. And when there was complete buy-in from the players involved, I'm like, oh yeah, we're on to something here. And 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 like you said, Scott, the re- the response on social media and the numbers with the athletic of people reading it was was incredible. And so like after this afternoon, I'm I've got all this great audio, so I'm gonna try to figure out a way to to splice it together in the full sixty podcast and try to you know What's tell the that? story. The same way. It's oh, it's a uh, podcast, uh, a rival <laughs> podcast. That would be our rival. You can you can get it on iTunes and Stitcher if you're listening to this uh, later. <laughs> later this so yeah, so it was it, it was great, and I was so glad. So like I'm sitting there, and and I'm later today on the Athletic, we're gonna post you know what a team North America would look like in 2018, just because the response was fun and we're having a good time with it. And I was so glad that Pierre actually did some reporting on this but while i'm doing like fictitious rosters and reliving a meaningless game i was so glad to see that pierre because I, I this had occurred to me i just didn't have the the uh make the effort to see oh yeah are we going to do this again and i was glad you did that pierre and you can well, tell it, people oh. well I, and, and well you, you you were the uh you were the inspiration my friend so uh there you go we work well <laughs> as a team but but uh because you know it's just sort of been hanging out there as this idea that is this going to happen again or not and we've talked about it a million times but they're actually now coming towards the deadline where they have to fish or cut bait and so both sides both the nhl and nhlpa i had sources on both sides yesterday indicate and that they need to figure this out by early january either way whether they're having a tournament in 2020 or not um and what surprised me in some of the things that i heard in these phone calls that i had is that they're 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 throwing around a lot of different ideas to get around the idea of not wanting uh, obviously a lockout as soon as the tournament ends in September 2020, in case there's a reopener of the CBA. And one of the ideas is: do we change the timing of the CBA, or do we extend the CBA? And we, you know, like all these different things where I'm like, wow, that's there's some pretty positive ideas being thrown around. It doesn't mean they're going to happen. It may very well be that old habits die hard and that they can't see eye to eye and they just decide to cancel the tournament. But at least I think both sides want to hold this tournament again. And because of that, they're trying to come up with some progressive ideas to to make sure they can have it without any negativity. So let's did, see did you happen to ask if there would be a, a, a Team North America 2020? Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I did not. As you may remember, as the tournament was wrapping up uh, in 2016, I did put out a thing where the league was kind of leaning towards not bringing it back. Um, And and it's, and I know it sounds counterintuitive given how popular the team was, but I think in many ways, that's the point is that, is that that might be a once in a lifetime opportunity when you get guys like Matthews and McDavid and Eichel and McKinnon on the same team. And, you know, would it take away from it if you tried to do it again, but who knows, maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll change your mind on that, given the popularity well, of the team. Well, let me. I want to. I want to ask both you guys because I know you know one of the part of the lead-in into the 2016 World Cup of Hockey was that it was that they they structured it the way they did with the Team Europe and with Team North America uh, because they 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 wanted to be more compact and they wanted as many top NHL players in that tournament as they could get, and that meant freezing out nation 
uh, teams like Switzerland and Germany and Slovakia and teams that we see regularly at the the world championships and and certainly at the Olympics. And the idea was that next time around in, in presumably four years later in 2020, that it would be more like an Olympic style tournament and more like the Canada cup tournaments uh, that, that were really the the sort of the genesis of, of the world cup of hockey. But is there not a way given the popularity of Team North America, and you can do it, you know, like it really hurt Team USA, right? And there were a, there were a bunch of, you know, top young American players that, that would have been vying for spots on the the misguided and ill-fated Team USA in 2016. Um, so you don't want to have, you don't want to have that again, but isn't there a way to do it so that you could still have that same kind of buzz, you know, whether it's the Hughes brothers or, you know, you know, think about the, there's always another generation of terrific mm-hmm. young players, right? You know, isn't there, you know, Craig, let me, if you were running the world cup of hockey, 2020, would you set it up so that there is a team North America and let's say you grandfather. So Austin Matthews, I don't know, whatever the age cut off. So he might, still be under it you, would you could grandfather him yeah so you grandfather him into team usa because he's already played uh, for team north america so you can't do it twice basically that's the rule but you then you unleash another team north america surely there you could there there'd be enough good players wouldn't there or would you do you think it is just a once in a lifetime thing I, I would run it back and just because it added such a wrinkle and, and with the caveat. And so I actually had this discussion yesterday with Dylan Larkin. So we, I printed out, we had this graphic with all the players we put on this year's team, North America. I'm like, what do you think? And it of course included Dylan and, and he was, he's like, oh my gosh, this would be great. And then we, and then it just, you know, then I turned the recorder off. We were just chatting and I'm like, yeah, you know, would this ever happen? And I'm, I'm like, you know, Team USA really would need if you're having the, the World Cup and you don't have Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel on Team USA and, and even like Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, yeah. like those are that's the heart of the team. And I just don't think you could do that on some level. And Dylan was like, how about you just have like the alumni exemption? So if you played on Team North America in 16, you're ineligible to play on it in 2020. Right. Exactly. And now. You know, now you're talking about a whole different group of guys, and it's you know maybe it's a Brock Besser and and some of the guys that you mentioned, right, and Clayton Keller or whatever it is, Charlie McAvoy, guys that yep. maybe would have a be in the conversation for the national team. But as were some of these players, anyways, Connor probably would have made Team Canada. But I think I, I would I, I would run it back, and and I guess it's unfair to wh- whatever country you're cutting out of the equation. Um, but I, I would run it back and, and just because it was so fun and it was nostalgic. And I think it would, it just, it made the tournament different. I, I thought it was so well received. That became one of the biggest stories of that tournament. And and here we are two years later, still talking about that. We're not talking about team Europe or uh, team Canada and that one. And, and, and I just, I think I would run it back. Yeah, I, I would. I, I, I totally disagree. And, and I think the reason is, if you bring back the World Cup in, in 2020, you you want you want it to feel like a, a terrific best on best run up to the Beijing Olympics, which presumably, hopefully, the NHL will participate in. And I think with that in mind, you know Switzerland was really the country that got screwed out of the World Cup in 2016, and they're a terrific hockey country with a lot of NHL players and a lot of good players in the Swiss League. I, I think it's unfair to have Switzerland knocked out again. And I, I think that you want a more traditional setup for the next World Cup because it'll give you a good idea and a good sense and something to compare it to to what happens in that tournament and what happens in Beijing. And and I think That's you need to go back. And, and listen, I, I have no I, – I completely agree that Team North America remains the story. I mean, I mean, it's like, let's put it this way. They're, they're almost nothing more boring than Canada winning again in that tournament because that's all they did for the last ten years in that messed up test. So North yeah. America was way more way more exciting a storyline. But I think it's a one off. I think it's a once in a lifetime thing where you had generational players come together and make up that team. And I don't know that you can find the magic again uh, that way. And th- listen, I, I could be wrong, and and it's actually rare for Craig and I to disagree on something like that. I but know. I, 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 I think I've got to that, rethink uh, my stance. Well, I, I just think that with Beijing in mind, that you want to set up the rotation now with best on best, and and you know maybe Austin Matthews leads Team USA to the to World Cup uh, World Cup glory in 2020, and then Connor McDavid returns Canada to to glory in Beijing. Like the, to me, the storylines are more traditional and and more outstanding that way. Well, okay, and uh, you know I like to sort of 
I mean, I'm a fence kind of guy. What if you, what if you just expand the pool? A don't have, like I would have zero exhibition games. (laughs) Like I would not do any or maybe one, Um, but maybe you could expand your, you know, what we have eight teams last time. What if you went to 10, figured out your schedule from that? Then we, and I'm with you, Pierre. I thought it was unfortunate for Switzerland. I know, you know, the, the Slovaks were felt that, you know, Czech Republic had a team. Why not? Slovakia, you know, I mean, you could do a couple mm-hmm. different things. Germany's in the mix as well. Um, maybe you expand it so that you can have more country representation, but you also have a, a team North America part two, if I can say part two. Uh, maybe you can work at both. And what about this? What about having some games uh, in Seattle? I'm just saying, right? Lead into. That's a great idea. Pierre, I got the sense in talking to other like to, to people about this, and and I again I don't know if anything's been been decided, but if there is a 2020 World Cup, it, it may be more spread out across the world. I don't know. Right. It, maybe I'm jumping. The well, that, well, that's something they did in '04, uh, as some of you may remember, yeah. and I I felt like they thought it was a bit unwieldy, but who knows? I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I love the Seattle idea, but I also love involving Europe. And, and by the way. I think now you're on the hook, Craig, since you've done this amazing job on remembering Team North America from that tournament. You may want to give a nod to the team, to the other mixed team that actually made it to the final, which is Team Europe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right, you're all uh, Mark Strait, and I don't even remember who was that. Could you name three Team Europe players? Well, no, yeah. and, 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 and the thing is, they actually, uh, you know, they, they, I mean, I don't know if Canada was bored by then, but they gave Canada quite a run. In yeah. the final, like those games were competitive. Uh, well, but by then, everyone every, everyone had left their hotels and gone home from Toronto by then because uh, they thought yeah. the tournament was over before that final was played. <laughs> that was so. Like, there's a couple of things. Up here. Like one, it, and I'd forgotten this, but like after I wrote that story, a lot of people from Toronto mm-hmm. were like, "I got that ticket for like ten dollars, and it was the best thing I ever did." And and I forgot, like attendance was kind of a thing. Like I think yeah. it was open, mm-hmm. the price really high, and so I think that's a consideration when you're figuring out where to where to to host it but like the team europe the thing i remember most is was ralph krueger and how he became this fascinating character in that in that tournament the coach of team europe and chris jones was our colleague at espn and so we'd all divvy those up and that was his team and and we like we would just sit and talk about ralph ralph krueger over beers for hours like he would be yeah this guy this the, the most fascinating man in the world during that that whatever it was one month stretch yeah. And yeah. I'll only say it, when I talk to the players and cause you always get mixed sort of like, I think for us, it was a mixed bag in, in large part because, you know, even though the games were on ESPN, it, it, you know, team USA was such a, well, they, they went winless. I mean, it was a disaster in terms of what the NHL and everyone had hoped for, I think in terms of profile and that. And, and so it was, it was disappointing uh, on so many fronts, but when I, I'm always amazed when I talk to players who played in that tournament, they loved it. Like they loved the and part of what they loved, I think, was that the tournament itself was in one place. And obviously, being in Toronto, they didn't, you know, they didn't have to move around a lot. You know, they the, the exhibition games were in different cities, but once the tournament started, they were they were locked down, and they really liked that part. So I think that will be part of the balance in terms of what the NHLPA is looking for, because I think my sense of it is the players really liked having the tournament in one location, and that that was the focal point of the of the whole thing. So you'd have to. Like I get it. You're, you want you want the building filled, uh, but the players also like the idea of not having to you know bounce around like they are so often during the regular season. So lots of lots of different things there. Yeah, it's right. pity. It's a, it's a pity for Team USA in that tournament. They didn't have a separate just shootout competition. Maybe they could learn that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Ouch. What a disaster that was. Oh, my uh, gosh. I don't even want to talk about uh, that Team USA. Uh, Although, right. well, I, the last thing I'll say before you get before you, I know I can already sense you have done enough of these. You're, you're ready to go to the next segment, Scott. But yeah. the last thing is the legend has it, and I've never been able to pin down what, what exactly was said that Dean Lombardi. Before the, I guess it would have been Team USA's first game, gave against Team Europe speech in the history of like pre-game or pre-tournament speeches. That was like guys wanted to run through the wall. Like it was, it was like General Patton. Was he? I don't know. Was he inspirational? You know, like apparently it was, it was unreal. And I want one day I'm gonna figure out what that speech was. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously it didn't work. Well, I- 
<laughs> I was going to say they got beat by Team Europe in the first game, and it really, like, really from that moment on, the tournament was a wash, right? Because they had to, they had to beat the way it was set up. They had to beat Team Europe in Game One, and they didn't do it. And, and anyway, the rest is history. Craig, I know you have work to do, and so we will cut you loose, and Pierre and I will uh, will mop up, just kind of like always for us. We'll mop up after you're gone. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, make sure you listen to the full 60. Subscribe, download first. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. See you. All right. Well, we're just we're going to forge on here, Pierre. You know what? I, there was a question I wanted to ask you last week, and I want, uh, of course, I wanted to ask Craig too. But now he's gone. He's he's works very hard. He's going off to work on a story uh, about the. Well, you better not say time. it in case you. Well, I was going to say you better not sell it in case it doesn't come out. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, whatever. Next time we have him on, we'll talk about it. But I wanted to ask you last week, and I forgot to, uh, well, we ran out of time. I didn't forget. Um, but we had to put our, our predictions in for the end of the season, Stanley Cup winners and stuff. I was just curious. You, what did you, what'd you end up? Who did you end up with? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, first time in my career, I didn't make picks. It's interesting. I uh, I just, you know what? You didn't I do it? Know. You didn't show in the like- form? No, no, I didn't. I don't, I don't know what happened. I you're kind of, you're kind of a rebel. You're kind of a rogue. Okay, so you didn't. Even you know, I, I, I'm not very good at predictions anyway, and it's not really what I get paid to do. So I was like, yeah. you know what? Who cares what I think? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, so but I either want, I either want, but I have two dream matchups. I either want San Jose, Tampa Bay, because uh, those teams are awesome, and uh, it'd be perfect weather for the Cup final. Yes, or like that. Yeah. Or Winnipeg, Toronto, an all-Canadian uh, final Ooh. with two juggernaut teams. And, of course, it would guarantee Canada would finally end its Stanley Cup drought. So yes. those are the two uh, two cup final matchups that I'd like to see. Not a mix of those. Either Tampa, San Jose. Yep. And, uh, or Winnipeg, Toronto. All right. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad. And I'm a little disappointed you did not follow the instructions sent out by uh, the bosses at the Athletic. And I hope no one from the Athletic is listening to this. Find out that you, in fact, failed to do that. See, I put mine in because I'm dutiful. And (laughs) my son continues to mock me because every year I pick the Capitals to win. And finally, you know, like the the blind squirrel, I I got the nut last year when the Capitals won. Um, Right. I think I had Edmonton in the final, though, because uh, anyway, so I think both my Western final prediction teams missed the playoffs. I had Dallas and Edmonton. They both missed the playoffs entirely. But I did have the Capitals win, and I had them going back to the final only because I just couldn't think of who else. I know Tampa's really, really good. Uh, but I just thought, you know what? Washington's a good team, so they could be a good and, and in the same Washington vein, I have Nashville winning uh, and Probably because I love to go to Nashville, so maybe that's it too. But I had Nashville coming back in and uh, and, and and finally mm-hmm. getting it right. So that was my those were, that was my pick. So um, some uh, some uh, lots of emotion uh, last night in that Nashville Winnipeg rematch. Woo! Oh my God! Tell you what, that's, those teams yeah, don't so like each fun. other. Yeah, that was and, and you and I covered that series, uh, the second round series, seven games. We did. It was it, that might have been the best series of the playoffs. I, I think it's the best. Uh, it's the best series that I've personally covered in the in my 24 years covering NHL. Probably the best series I've covered since uh, one of those Detroit Pittsburgh Cup finals. Yeah, uh, yep. that was no, uh, that was amazing hockey. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was really good, and that, and it's you know long way to go, but it's uh, I can't imagine that at some point next spring, we won't see Winnipeg-Nashville part two. Like, I just, I, it seems... Well, we'll you know, see. I mean, we it, it, it looks that way, but uh, the Central is crazy. Uh, St. Louis and Dallas are improved, and uh, yeah. you never know with that veteran Chicago team. And I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. you know, this is a league where you start counting ahead and thinking ahead and everything on paper, and then it uh, embarrasses you because the league is so yeah. close. So who knows? Good. All right. So before we close, I, uh, it's been, I think it's been so much fun. First week and a half, we're closing on the first two weeks of the regular season. I, I love the moment in Chicago, Chicago and the Leafs and Austin Matthews cupping his hand to his ear after he scored. And then Patrick Kane answering back 
moments later and doing the same thing. And you could see Matthew smiling on the bench. Like how much fun was that? And how much, you know, I love, I love how the Carolina hurricanes have, you know, they celebrating in a different fashion and they're off to a terrific start and, and really engaging the fans in Raleigh. And there's been so much fun and a lot of, to me anyway, it just seems like there's so much vibrancy and so much personality. And I wonder, are there things, you know, is, has there been a moment where you're like, Oh, I, you know, this is, this is fun. I, I can't, you know, I'm so glad it's back. Or is there, has there been a moment or a, you know, something that you've been looking at going, yeah, this is, I'm real. I'm, ba- I'm glad we're back in the groove now. Well, first of all, I knew you'd mention the hurricanes because you have Stockholm syndrome. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, say I had stock in that team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Undefeated um, in regulation as we speak right now. Yeah. No, I mean, it's hard. I mean, nothing can top what Austin Matthews is doing right now. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Nine goals in five games. And and just the way in which he's scoring goals from different areas. And, and, and you know, it's just so difficult to score goals in this league. And and the work that he's put in every summer to improve his ability to shoot and shoot from different areas. I mean, it's just such a treat to watch him right now. Um, on the negative side, I mean, I think, I re- and I wrote about this uh, yeah. Tuesday morning for us at The Athletic, but boy, I, I've got a big focus on the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, you know, you knew when you looked at the schedule that things would be harder for them in year two, but, you know, I, you know, to be where they are right now and, and now the injury to Paul Stashny, um, and I sensed a lot of angst there uh, from the GM on down when I was there Monday in Buffalo after they lost to the Sabres. So I think the Golden Knights, you know, are our story right now as well, Not not for the reasons they're accustomed to, but It'll be interesting to see how they come out through this adversity. Yeah, well, and they're coming as you and I were talking. They're coming off another disappointing performance. Uh, well, back to back, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. were schooled by Washington in the Stanley Cup final rematch, and then the, a, a night later, were schooled by a uh, Pittsburgh Penguins team without their starting goaltender. Of course, Matt Murray dealing with concussion issues. And you're right; it's they look they they look like the team everyone thought they were going to be a year ago. Right? They look like a team All that right. you know they look like an expansion team. It's just a year late, and it's a real <clears throat> listen. Jurgalon is a terrific coach. He, you know, he didn't, he he hasn't done what he's done, and not just last year. I, I think everyone recognizes he's a high end NHL coach. So he didn't forget how to do that just in the space of the summer. So I, I think if there's a team that will be able to, you know, find its legs, um, it's the Vegas Golden Knights. But you're you're right, Pierre. They are they are probably as big a story. And on the negative side, as there has been in, in, in this early part, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, the guy, I, we had to pick the, you didn't do this because you didn't fill in the form, but we had to identify a, a disappointing team or a team that could disappoint. And I thought Anaheim was a team that, you know, especially with Corey Perry out, but boy, what, a, you know, good for uh, Randy Carlisle and uh, uh, John Gibson the and the rest of the Ducks. What a, what a nice start for, for a team that I think a lot of people were, you know, were, about ready to close the book on and and they're off to a terrific start in Anaheim. That's a really important. And I think that's important mm-hmm. for them uh, given the strength of the California teams. Yeah, it no, a surprising start and they don't have all their players. Obviously Corey Perry's hurt and uh, Nick Ritchie, as we taped this is still on sign and uh, they got the kids in there and Ryan Kessler's back, which is uh, nice to see for him and for the yeah. ducks. Uh, and, and, and really the ducks, I think were a popular picked by a lot of people around the league to kind of regress this year and that may, that may still be the case but uh, yeah nice surprising start for Anaheim yeah all right all right uh, anything else what do you you, you got to you no I I would I uh, once again I'd like to remind you that it's very insensitive of you to uh, rebuff my trade offers for Ezekiel Elliott given my fandom of the Dallas Cowboys you need to address that if you were truly a friend of mine all right. Well, we'll see what happens between now and next week when we tape episode six. I'll see if I can come. Uh, I'll, uh, we'll let we'll let you know. I'm sure people will, every week now people go and I wonder if Burnside's going to trade. Well, and people probably know Craig Cousins is my partner in in this uh, yeah. in this league. So well, Craig refuses to trade with me because Craig's Craig's suspicious of me. So he is suspicious of you. Well, he knows you. So all right. Well. My friend, as always, a, a ton of fun to uh, to engage with you on Two Man Advantage, the podcast. We'll do it again next week, and have a great weekend. All right. See you, pal.